I said this in the first service, and I'm going to say it in this service because I absolutely believe it. But the evil spirits and the devil better watch out. Because when you have a body of believers, a people who come together and sing praises to the Lord, and who believe in the power of Jesus, going out of these doors into the world, they better watch out. So I just have to get that out. That's okay. So here's a question for you. Hey, thank you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Here's a question for you. Have you ever had an encounter with something or with someone that was unmistaken, undeniable, and what's another synonym for that? Unmistaken, undeniable, and you're just like, whoa, that's crazy. I'll just put it that way. I want you to think about that for a second as I get my iPad out, and then I'm going to help us think about that. Awesome. Great job. Way to think. So imagine that you're at your house, okay, and you're walking around, and, and maybe you have siblings, maybe you have kids, maybe you have parents, maybe you live with someone else, and all of a sudden you're walking around the house and you see this thing on the floor, and this thing is a sock. Now, I forgot my sock at home. I was going to take mine off, but I was like, that's probably shouldn't do that. And so you pick up this sock, and, you know, as you probably would, you probably grab the sock, and to make sure it's clean, what do you probably do? <laughs> you guys are crazy. You take in a deep breath, or you sniff it, right? And if it's just the worst, you're like, whoa, okay, that's, uh, that's not good. That's not clean. I don't know why we do that. We just do it. But... My friend, that is an unmistakable encounter with a stinky sock. That is an undeniable encounter, unforgettable encounter, you could say, with a stinky sock. And so I'm going to put this here. In the first service, I threw it, and people didn't like that. Uh, so I'm going to leave it right there so it doesn't distract you. But maybe not in the exact same way, but maybe in some way, as we look at this story in Acts, in this conversion story, we're going to see at this man named Saul he encountered the risen Lord Jesus Christ in a way that was undeniable, unmistakable, and unforgettable. And so that's the resurrection encounter we're going to look at this morning. And so I want to reintroduce myself because I was on the video, but my name is Misael Gonzalez, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's an honor for me to be with you guys, to be in your home uh, to open up the word together and to see, Lord, what do you have for us? What, what are you saying to us this morning? And we're really continuing uh, this Easter season with our uh, Resurrection Encounters sermon series. And in this sermon series, we're going through six particular people and encounters where individuals actually encountered the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And this is very, very important for all of us especially as believers and honestly for the whole world because Christianity either stands or it falls on the reality of the resurrection. It stands or falls on the reality of the resurrection because if the resurrection didn't happen, there's no hope, there's no peace, there's no eternal life, there's really nothing, there's no forgiveness. And, and so this is important for us because my hope is that this morning we would encounter the resurrected Lord Jesus in a new way, in a fresh way. Because, man, the resurrection, it shapes our past, it shapes our present, and it shapes our future. And so that is my prayer this morning for all of us. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. So go ahead and turn with me. Acts chapter 9. And as you get there, I want to give us some context 
As we read this, we have to understand that this might be one of the greatest biblical uh, characters, one of the greatest conversions, you could say, in the whole Bible. And the reason I say that is because this man that encountered the Lord has shaped the New Testament. The Lord used him to shape the New Testament. The Lord has used him in our lives to teach us who the Lord is and, and what he's done. And so this is significant. And, and the reason I say conversion, and maybe some of you are like, okay, what does conversion even mean? That's okay. This word means someone who has uh, gone from spiritually dead to now spiritually alive. Conversion can also mean someone who is not following Jesus, and then they encounter Jesus, and now they are following Jesus. And then the author of this book, Book of Acts, his name is Luke. And Luke, man, I'm so grateful for him because he gave us this encounter in, in Acts chapter 9, and then he gave it to us in Acts chapter 22, and then in Acts chapter 26. The same encounter three different times. And then before we read, starting in verse 1, I want to make sure we don't miss out on what's happening right before this. Right before this, we see the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. The story where God leads this man named Philip to go meet up with this guy on the road who's, lead, who's reading the Old Testament. And he's like, what is going on? I don't understand this. And so Philip goes up and goes, hey, the Lord sent me to help you out with this. This actually points to Jesus. Jesus saves you. He transforms you. And the Ethiopian eunuch is like, oh, my goodness. Okay, awesome. He is transformed and he's baptized. And all of this is happening and people are coming to know Jesus as their Lord, as their Savior, as the one who transforms them. And then we get to verse 1. And so I'm going to read verse 1 all the way to verse 9. And we're going to stop there. But the whole passage will actually be verse 1 to 19. So it says this, as all this is going on, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice to him saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? asked Saul. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Paul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink. We're going to stop right there. What we see in, in these verses and we see in the whole passage is this whole textual idea that while on his way to kill every single Christian possible, Saul was interrupted by an unmistakable encounter with Jesus himself. And so if you're taking notes, I want you guys to write this down. This is our sermon idea. Our sermon idea is this. Love overcomes hate. Love overcomes hate. The love of Jesus overcame the hate that Saul had for Jesus and his people. And as we look at all of this, we're going to see that an authentic encounter with Jesus produces an authentic change in us. And we're going to look at that more closely. 
And so verses 1 to 9 is really this first scene, because there's three scenes in this whole passage. In the first scene, we see that, that Paul had an unexpected encounter with Jesus. That's our first point. Saul had an unexpected encounter with Jesus. I promise you Paul didn't wake up that day and say, all right, I want to meet Jesus today. That's not what he was thinking at all. If anything, verse 1 allows us to see kind of what Paul was thinking. And it's honestly a continuation of Acts chapter 8, verse 3, that says this. Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. This is what Paul woke up to. He goes, that's my plan. Because my role and my duty is to be this this official that arrests people and even has the authority to kill people. The authority to give the thumbs up to execute someone. And he did that with a believer already. And the reason that Paul felt this way is because Saul, he was a smart guy. And he knew, he knew the Old Testament, he knew the scriptures, and he thought that all those who believed in Jesus were a bunch of heretics, people who had bought into a false teaching, who have bought in to a lie. And so Saul, in his mind, was like, man, I'm doing the work of the Lord. Like, I'm the one helping God out because all of these people are just proclaiming a false god. They're proclaiming that this Jesus guy is, is the Messiah. He's the son of man, and they're sinning. And so I'm going to do my duty, and I'm going to go after them. So I'm going to do my work for God. That's what I'm going to do. And this is why Paul was so enraged. He's like, man, I, I, need, I need to go get them. And not only did Paul stay in Jerusalem to go and imprison everybody, but he, he'd probably already done all his work in Jerusalem, and all those followers of Jesus had left and scattered to other places. Well, he was like, hey, it's time to go somewhere else. And that's why you see right here that in verse 1 that he goes to the high priest. And then in verse 2 it says that he asked them letters to go to the synagogues in Damascus, the places of worship in Damascus. He wanted to go here, and, and, and Paul was pretty dedicated because Damascus was about six days away from Jerusalem. So he had to walk there for six days. And so as he's walking there, uh, we, we, see, we see Saul, he's going, and he wants to persecute everyone and enslave everyone and put them in prison. And these people that he's trying to go to is called the way. You see that with me? That they belong to the way. So you might be asking, Misael, who are, who's the way? Like, why are they called the way? Well, this term Christian was actually not in existence at this point in time. And so the people who followed Jesus called themselves the way because they said, you know what? We know the true gospel. We know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And so that's why they called themselves the way. And Paul didn't, or Saul didn't just go after men. He went for women as well and imprisoned them. He wanted to take them back to Jerusalem. You see, this is fascinating to me because can you, can you imagine that like today? Can you imagine people coming in today and wanting to say, hey, yeah, you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're coming with me. You're going to prison. We're going to take you over to Oklahoma City. So as we look at all this, we have to keep in mind this context of what people were doing and what they said. And, and so now we see Paul in verse 3. We see him in verse 3 that he's gotten the okay, he's gotten the green light. He's like, hey, it's time to go to Damascus. Come on. So he goes to Damascus, and on, on his way there, this unexpected beam from heaven comes down. And what's fascinating is that uh, later on in Acts, in, in chapter 22 and chapter 26, Paul makes it really clear that this encounter was at 12 o'clock 
uh, in the day, like afternoon. So it's really bright outside, and Paul still says this beam was brighter than the sun. No wonder he was blind. <laughs> He'd encounter a really bright light. And so Paul encounters this really bright light, and, and, and really Paul, he kno- or Saul, he knows this has to be some kind of divine light, this divine voice, because this is what the voice says to Saul. He says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? We know because we've read the text that that's Jesus talking. Jesus could have said anything. He could have said literally anything. He could have killed him on the spot. But instead, he says, hey, Saul, Saul. He communicated to Saul in such a way that he understood. Don't miss that. Because Saul understood what Jesus was saying. And then look what Jesus says. He goes, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting the innocent? Why are you persecuting my children? Why are you persecuting those who follow me? No, 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 no. He said, why are you persecuting me? If anything, Jesus made it clear that to hate or to persecute people who follow Jesus, people who claim to be children of God, is really to hate and to persecute Jesus himself, God himself. And so Saul recognizes that this is a divine voice, a divine light, and so he says, who are you? He's still confused. He's like, I know you're, you're, you're a deity. I know that you're out there, but who are you, Lord? Do not miss this. In three words, Jesus absolutely uh, shakes and rattles the entire worldview of Saul. He completely shakes his entire upbringing, his entire belief, his entire religion, his entire self, his entire identity, his entire view on God, he absolutely shook it by three words saying, I am Jesus. With those three words, Saul said, oh my goodness. Falls to the ground and says, I've been persecuting people who I thought were liars. I've been persecuting people who I thought were following a false teacher, a false prophet, But that one who I've been persecuting is now speaking to me. I can't imagine that feeling that Paul had where he's like, wow, this is Jesus. I bet he was was shaken, he was rattled because this was an undeniable, unmistakable encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And the one that he persecuted was now the one that was talking to him the one that lived, the one that was truly reigning. You know, some people that I've looked at this, some scholars say that it's in this encounter that Saul went from a a murderer to a missionary or to the persecutor to the persecuted, which is cute, cute little sayings. You know, maybe that helps us retain what's going on. But let's just be real. Let's just be super raw, okay? Saul legitimately went from someone who found it joy and a duty to kill followers of Jesus. He went from someone who enjoyed it and found his duty to kill followers of Jesus to someone who was now willing to be killed to be a follower of Jesus. And do not miss that because that is, that is so true and so real. And there at the bottom in verse eight and nine, we see how Paul is now broken and he's helpless And if you see right there, he had to be led by the hand to Damascus. 
He was blind for three days, and he didn't eat or drink. Again, I'm not trying to complicate the story of, of Saul and his conversion, but, man, it's so great to highlight these things so we can understand how profound this is. And so this encounter with the risen Lord Jesus is happening right here. And what that requires of us is an authentic pause, an authentic pause. The reason this is the application is here is because I can't blame Saul, right? This beam of heaven comes down, and, and really all, all Saul can do is just pause. He can be like, oh, man, <laughs> I can't even move. I have to fall on my knees, fall on my face. I have to pause and listen. He was engulfed by this heavenly divine light, and I think we should take note of that. Now, I don't think any of us anytime soon will be like, you know, divine light, boom. I don't even know what to say right there. But I don't, know, I don't know if any of us will encounter this heavenly divine light like Saul did. But I do want to point you to something. Isn't the word of God called the light and the lamp to our feet and to our path? So if you think about that, when we encounter the Lord in his word, should we not pause and listen. I think we live in a culture so much that we're go, 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 that we either don't pause and listen or we just don't listen when we should. And so I want to encourage you this morning that maybe, maybe this morning will be that moment where you do pause and you do listen. And if you're a believer in the room, can I encourage you to take a moment out of your crazy busy life to pause and to listen. I love Psalms 46.10. That says, be still and know that I am God. I'm exalted among the nations. I'm exalted among the earth. Man, it's in these moments where we have pause and we're listening to the Lord. That's like, Lord, I can't help but have an authentic encounter with you. That truly, truly makes an authentic change in me. And that's what I'm going for. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, we're not perfect at this. We're not perfect at pausing and listening to the Lord. And, and let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story of when I did not do a good job at this. So one of our church members, their grandma, they, uh, they died, and there's a funeral. And so I went to the funeral uh, with the church member. And, and my personality, to be honest with you, like if one of my family members were to die and my pastor came, I would just want them to like hang around, shake my hand, say hello, and then leave. <laughs> because I'd just say, hey, just let me be with my family. And so that's what I had in my mind. And so I go, I shake some hands, I say, hello, hey, I'm praying for you. I prayed with them, said, I love you, our church is here for you. And at that moment, I left. I said, okay, cool. So I'm walking to my car, right? And as I'm walking to my car, I just, I just feel the Lord, and I hear the Lord say, hey, you need to turn around. And I was like, hmm. So I kept walking. So I keep on walking, and I, I get my keys out, open up my car, and I sit down. And again, I just feel the Lord say, hey, you need to turn around. And I was like, that's interesting. So then I put my keys in the ignition, I turn it on, and I put it in reverse. I'm about to go in reverse, and again I hear and just feel the Lord saying, hey, you need to turn around. And so I put it back in park, and I sit there, and I go, Lord, are you telling me I need to turn around? <laughs> it's almost like I felt the Lord say, duh, duh, me say. And so it was in that pause where I was like, Lord, okay, I'm going to listen. So I go back, I go back to... To, uh, to the church, and I go up to the family, and I said, hey, I'm actually going to stay. And they said, what? Are you serious? I thought you were going to leave. And I said, yeah, yeah, no, I'm going to stay. And they said, wow, and he said, I'm so glad. We had so much to tell you. We wanted you to meet these people. 
And in my mind, I was like, Lord, thank you for not allowing me to mess up. Oh, man, that would have been so bad. But it was in that moment of pausing and saying, Lord, where are you guiding me? How are you speaking? Again, we're not going to be perfect, but I want to encourage us and challenge us to truly take an authentic pause when we encounter the Lord. So the next thing that we're going to see is in verses 10 to 16. In verses 10 to 16, we see this. That Saul had an unlikely encounter with Ananias. Saul had an unlikely encounter with Ananias. Starting in verse 10, I'll read this. It says, In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports of this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, exclamation point. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Again, in these verses, we see that Saul had an unlikely encounter with Ananias. And Ananias is a guy that we see in scene two, which this is what it is, scene two. And then Ananias is his disciple of Damascus, and he seems to be pretty tight with the Lord. Because as soon as the Lord says, hey, Ananias, he goes, yes, Lord, what's up? What's going on, dude? And so he's really close with the Lord, and, and then the Lord tells him, hey, this is what you need to do. And as I read this, and as we read this, did, did you notice all the detail in there? All the detail of, of what the Lord was orchestrating? Because as I, as I look at this, I'm like, God, you were working behind the scenes. You were working in the background. And it makes me think, because I find it fascinating, that part of God's work and part of God's story, I'm not going to see. I'm not going to understand. Like, I don't think that Ananias had any intention in meeting up with Saul. And I don't think Saul had any intention meeting up with Ananias in the way that he did. And then if you look, who's this guy named Judas from this street called Straight? <laughs> like Straight Street. Like who told Judas, hey, this guy, Saul is going to be in your house, and then Ananias is going to come, and then they're going to have this meeting. And like, We're not told. We're not told that. If anything, we see the Lord working in the details, in, in the background, and I just want to take a moment to say the Lord is a God of the details. He is one who works in the in-between. Like maybe we've said before, God is not just a God of the church in your home, but he's, he's a God of when you get in your car and when you take the steps to get to your car and get to your house and all of the in-between. We see him orchestrating all of this. And so as we see, I can't blame Ananias, honestly. He's like, he's like Lord, are you serious? Like this guy is coming to kill us and you want me to go? And Jesus is very, very, very blunt. He goes, yes, I need you to go. And so as he goes, and he goes and meets with Ananias, man, you see what the Lord has said. He said, this man that you're about to see is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name everywhere. Everywhere. 
So Ananias' doubt and this proclamation of Jesus shows us that Saul truly had a radical transformation, a radical transformation in his own life. It was, a, it was an honest, honest miracle. And so as we see this, that Saul had an unexpected encounter with Jesus and an unlikely encounter with Ananias, I can't help but see that God had an authentic plan. God had an authentic plan. He makes it clear that he had a plan for Saul and what he was to do. And, and honestly, I think that in all of this, we can see that God has an authentic plan for mankind. And, and this is just crazy because Saul was seen as like the enemy, like the greatest enemy of all of those who believed in Jesus. So take a moment. I want you to think, who is the greatest enemy that you know? Like who is your greatest enemy? Like who is the person that you say, this person is the most evil person I know? So think about the most evil person. Ready to go. Awesome. I'm going to share with you two people that I think are just so evil. Okay? So the first one is this Lego movie evil guy. He's the villain. He's just the absolute worst. Anybody agree? Some of you? Cool. So this guy is just the absolute worst in the Lego movie. I don't know if you've seen it. And then the second villain that I just think is the most evil person ever is this one guy in this one Marvel movie, and he, like, snapped one time, just crazy, wiped out, like, half of the universe. Insane. Okay? These two people are some of the most evil people I know. Uh, they don't really exist. Uh, but imagine if they did. Imagine if these people existed right now, and Jesus was like, hey, I want you to go and talk to them. And you're like, whoa, take it easy. Take it easy. You want me to go to... And Jesus is like, yeah. And you're like, are you? <laughs> like, do you know the snap? Yes. Because this is exactly how Saul was seen with these people. He was seen as the most evil person to them in the world. But again, we come back to that sermon idea that the love of Jesus overcame the hate that Saul had for Jesus and his followers. Why? Because he had an authentic, authentic encounter with the Lord Jesus. And so we see that as Paul is about to encounter Ananias, we're honestly going to see that his whole identity is shaken and is in question. We see that Saul, I'm, I'm assuming because he was three days blind and three days immobile. I'm assuming in these three days he probably took moments to say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I, I, don't, know, uh, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm hopeless. I need you. He probably took those moments to say, Lord, I am the worst of the worst, and I need your forgiveness. If anything, I think Paul, in those three days, he, he came to terms with something really, really real. Because he was a man who was, like, raised in his church of the time. And so he came to grips with, man, I can't be born into the church. I have to be reborn into the church. What Jesus said with, with Nicodemus that, man, you must be born again. That's true and that's real. Because I knew all these things, but I had never truly encountered the Lord in this way, and I've never let him transform me in this way. In verses 15 and 16, these are important verses for us. It's important verses for the book of Acts, for the New Testament, for, the Christ, for all Christians at all times. Because Saul's identity was so shaken and so transformed, honestly, that he had to change his entire name from Saul to Paul. 
Now, I've tried my best to stay Saul this entire time, and I've definitely slipped up, so forgive me. But it's in this moment where we see this whole identity just shift. Of like, I can't even use Saul anymore. I'm a new creation, and I now need to be called Paul. Because this man that we're looking at, this conversion story, is the same Apostle Paul that God used that he was so powerfully used by God. And he wrote 13 of the New Testament books that we read. He's the one that helps us see who the Lord is and what he's done. And I just can't imagine that because Paul probably felt like the worst of the worst as he killed people. And now he's like, man, I'm forgiven? But we see, starting in verse 17, in addition to this, what we see, starting in verse 17, is that Saul had an unmistaken encounter with Jesus. Saul had an unmistaken encounter with Jesus. Starting in verse 17, it says this, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Again, Saul had an unmistaken encounter with Jesus. We see the obedience of Ananias, that he actually went where the Lord had told him to go. He went, and and this is what I find just super cool, is that Ananias goes, and he puts his hands on Paul and says, Hey, uh... This is what Jesus told me to do. And just in describing what Jesus had told him to do, Saul was healed. Isn't that crazy? That's literally exactly what happened. And and so we see that obedience of Ananias of just going. and, And then as we look, Ananias calls Saul a name that, again, just solidifies the transformation that had happened in his life. He went up to him and said, hey, brother Saul, my friend, my fellow companion in the Lord, my brother in Christ. So we see the obedience of Ananias, and then we see the obedience of Saul. That as soon as this happened, immediately the scales fell off his eyes, and and he could see again. He goes, man, the first thing that I want to do when I can see, before I eat, before I drink anything, I'm going to follow the Lord in obedience and go be baptized. That's what it says. Because it wasn't until after his baptism that he had something to eat, something to drink, and that he regained his strength. And so as we look at this unmistakable encounter with the Lord, this unmistakable encounter with the Lord requires authentic praise. It requires authentic praise. You see, praising, worshiping Jesus looks like ascribing worth to Jesus above all things. He is the one that we worship. He is the one that is worth everything. And this is why we praise him. This is why we sing to him. And the way that Saul could just fathom in his mind to just worship and to praise the Lord as soon as he could. He said, man, I'm going to worship him in baptism. And I'm going to go and I'm going to proclaim of what the Lord has done, that I was dead and now I'm alive. That he has resurrected my soul. And now I am his and I am all in for Jesus. This is the way that he proclaimed it. And he could praise the Lord Jesus because he had experienced divine forgiveness. Man, you can make an argument that Saul was probably one of the worst of the worst. Yet he experienced divine forgiveness. 
Now, I want to define forgiveness for us. I think this has great application for us. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not holding something against someone, even though you know they did it. And so God, knowing everything that, that Saul had done before and present, and maybe that what he, what he was going to do, God said, you are still forgiven, even though I know everything that you've done. And this is the same man who would suffer for Christ. The same man who would say to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he would come to understand that if he wanted to follow Jesus out of the grave, he had to follow Jesus into the grave. This is that same man. And so maybe this morning, as we've looked at all this passage, you're thinking to yourself, Misai, yeah, but you, you don't know. I came in this morning understanding that I did something really bad this past week. I did something horrible this past week. I did something so bad that my parents can't forgive me, that my kids can't forgive me, that my sister and my brother can't forgive me. My family can't forgive me. The person I did it to can't forgive me. He said, I've done an unforgivable thing. And I hope that you see in the scriptures that there is divine forgiveness for you. There is divine restoration for you. Jesus' love can overcome the hate that you have in your heart, the evil that you have in your heart. He can overcome it because he is the Lord and the Savior the one who has power over sin and over death. You need to trust him. Just trust him. And I want to leave you with this thought. An authentic encounter with Jesus truly produces an authentic change in us. And that has a lot of implication for all of us this morning. Let's pray. Before I begin praying, and as your heads are bowed, I just want to ask, maybe you're someone in your home right now, or someone who's sitting in this room, and you're like, I have never actually encountered the risen Lord Jesus, and this is my first time. Would you be so bold, if you're at home, to type in, hey, that's me? And if you're in the room this morning, would you be so bold and to just raise your hand so I can, so I can see it and, and, and be able to pray for you and connect with you? Because Jesus is so faithful to forgive. Lord, at this moment, I'm just so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful that we can read and see the story of Saul and how he encountered you. And it was so real that it changed his entire identity into Paul. And so, Lord, I pray for the believer, for the non-believer in this room, Lord, that you would encounter them in such a real way that they would have to change who they are because you have made them new, brand new in you. Lord, I praise you that you forgive us. <laughs> Thank you that you love us when we feel like we can't even love ourselves. And that you forgive us when we feel like we can't even forgive ourselves. We give you all the glory and all the worth and all the praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.